Our word this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes these words, reading from the English Standard Version translation. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times or later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And once again, let's pray. Our God and Father, as we come to our time of of, uh, opening up your word, uh, we pray for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Uh, We pray for your Spirit's work and guiding the words that I would say. We pray for your Spirit's work in all of our hearts and lives to hear the truth and only the truth, that we might be, as you have designed the church to be, uh, the pillar and buttress of the truth. So give us hearts that want to be faithful, faithful in knowing the truth, faithful in living the truth to the glory of Christ. So by your grace, be with us this morning, enabling us to be all that you would want us to be, to be salt of the earth, to be light of the world, and especially in these times and to this generation. For Jesus' sake, amen. Among the last teachings that Jesus gave while he was on earth, uh, before his death and resurrection, was a forecast for the future, uh, to span the time between his first and second comings. Now, we find that summary of teaching uh, repeated in Mark 13, in Luke 17 and 21. Uh, But most the most lengthy portion of this is found in Matthew 24. In that chapter... Three times, Jesus emphasizes the forecast of spirituality, the forecast of spiritually bad conditions connected to false spiritual leaders. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 24. First, verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And then verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And the verse 24, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So when we come to this passage this morning in First Timothy, Paul isn't introducing any new idea to the teaching of the Christian faith, but rather he's reemphasizing to Timothy as a warning that the church is engaged in spiritual warfare. Even though the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth, it is going to face and to keep facing a spiritual climate of spiritual attacks. And sadly, the church will suffer casualties. And just as Jesus warned that many will be led astray, so Paul is concerned about that issue too. 
Now, that issue is something we call apostasy. It's a term that means falling away from or departing from or being led astray from the truth of the Christian faith. Now, we can express Paul's concern, which agrees with the concern of Christ this way, sort of our overarching and and main theme this morning. Because bad teachers will inevitably attack the church, faithful shepherds must promote good doctrine to keep the church, the sheep, from falling away. This is a serious matter. These are serious words to Timothy. The theme, once again, is spiritual warfare. Timothy, again, is to be engaged in fighting the good faith, waging the good war against that which is a danger to the church. Now, what Paul says here in Timothy can be organized easily around four key points. First would be the arrival of apostasy, and then the agents of apostasy. Then thirdly, the agenda of apostasy, and lastly, the answer to apostasy. So I want to begin with the first of these, the arrival of apostasy. In verse 1, Paul quotes saying this, The Spirit expressly says, and he goes on to say, Some will depart from the faith. Paul is indicating that the Holy Spirit has spoken. Now, this was possibly through New Testament prophets. But in any case, the Spirit has spoken to give this infallible revelation. It's also possible that Paul is referring to a word of revelation that had come to him. We know that he spoke in this manner to uh, to the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verses 29 to 30. Uh, Paul says this, I know that after my departure, fierce fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Excuse me. (coughs) But we've also seen from the Gospels that Jesus gave this spiritual forecast as well. In any case... Paul is repeating to Timothy something that the church has been warned is coming. Note Paul's wording. The Spirit expressly says, it's explicit, it's clear, there will be some people, not all, but some, who will fall away from the faith. There will be casualties, casualties of apostasy. Now that raises the question then, when? When is this going to be happening? And Paul says in later times. Now, when he says this, which is an indefinite frame of time, uh, it means later in the sense of something future. It doesn't specifically say when. It's just later than when the prophecy was first given. So that's not at all inconsistent with the fact that some of this was already happening because the Spirit had been saying this for perhaps 30 years going back to the time of Christ. The point is that bad teachers and bad teaching were already infecting the church and drawing people away. And then the question is, the apostates, who are they? Who are these ones who are falling away? And what does this look like? Paul says, some who are from the faith. That means we're talking about people who are from within the ranks of the church, people who've been baptized, people who've been confessing members of the church, people who have confessed 
Christ, they will be the apostates. They, some of them will be falling away. And note carefully Paul's concern when he mentions the some. Paul isn't referring, is not referring here to the bad teachers, but rather to the victims of the bad teachers. They are one, they're ones who've been deceived by the bad teachers. Paul's concern is for them. Then the falling away itself, the departing, we ought to note that the Greek word group here is normally translated into the English with the word apostasy. Apostasy, which means departing from the faith, uh, adopting beliefs and practices that are contrary to the Christian faith, contrary to what is taught in the Bible. So Paul is saying that apostasy is coming, and the first aspects of that apostasy have already arrived, even as he's writing to young Timothy. Then further in verses 1 and 2, we see the agents of apostasy. Uh, the ones who are going to bring about the apostasy are both supernatural and natural. It involves both demons and men. So consider this demonic agency. Paul references deceitful spirits and then the teachings of demons. The New Testament and the Christian faith take it as fundamentally true. Human beings are not the only life that God has created in all of his vast creation. Uh, human beings are not the only creatures that God has created with intelligence and moral agency. There's a whole spiritual world that's invisible to us. It's a spiritual world, a non-physical world. God has created it. It's populated by holy angels. And then those angels that have fallen, which became demons, who rebelled against God in some fashion similar to how the first humans rebelled against God. So I would just say this. Don't be embarrassed when somebody comes along with a college degree and ridicules you for believing that there are demons or that you believe that there is a devil. It actually seems rather silly to believe in God and then think that human beings are the only intelligent beings that God ever created. Or that physical beings are the only kind of creatures that God has ever created. Or that human beings are the only ones that ever fell away from God. In any case, the New Testament doctrine of demons includes the idea that Paul gives us here. The demonic world is intent on spreading deceitful teachings that are directed at undermining the reality and truth of the Christian faith and the reality and truth of the Bible. So think of what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 6, 11, and 12, where he says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Or, as he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, he says, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments 
and every lofty thing or every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So there's this first level of agency, the first agents of apostasy that lie in the unseen, evil, spiritual world that opposes Christ and the Christian faith. But secondly, there is the human agency. These are men, mostly men, but also some notable women. I mean, you could turn to the book of Revelation to the church at Thyatira, and there you would see there's a self-proclaimed prophetess by the name of Jezebel. Jesus mentions her. Jesus rebukes her. But the majority in the history of the past 2,000 years have been men. In any case, these human agents spread and promote the demonic teachings. Now, only some of what we would call paganism or witchcraft or sorcery or devil worship, only some of what the demons promote would fall into that category. A large portion we find in the whole spectrum of philosophies and religions and ideologies that are raised up against the knowledge of God. These two have come into the world from the influence and teachings of demons. So what is characteristic, though, of these human teachers, Paul tells us in verse 2, is that they are not sincere at all in their teachings. Rather, they are hypocritical. They are liars. They have seared consciences, which mean they've totally destroyed their own moral compasses. Now, the concern here is that apostasy has an identifiable source. It is found in demons who are able to deceive human beings. It's found in their human minions who are likewise able to deceive. And Paul's concern is that the agents of apostasy are a powerful danger to the church internally. They lead people down the path of apostasy, and then they corrupt the witness of the church in the world. Thirdly, then, we come to the agenda of apostasy, and we begin to see this agenda in verse 3. The agenda is pretty clear. Demonic and human teachers combine together to remove the focus of faith from belief and trust in Christ and to put that focus onto something else. Apostasy is most often not a falling away from the faith into some kind of blank unbelief, some kind of belief in nothing. Rather, apostasy is a transformation, not a positive transformation, but a transformation nonetheless, into another form of religious beliefs and practices. And that agenda has a very specific purpose. It's either to lead people away from the possibility of salvation altogether, or to deeply wound Christians in their spiritual growth and thereby to actually render them false witnesses and ineffective with respect to what is true. Now, what Paul mentions here is not exhaustive in terms of what forms apostasy will necessarily take. Uh, not all apostasy 
will focus on these two issues. There are, in fact, many ways that a person might depart from the faith. However, what Paul's going to mention here is what is foreseen in the spiritual forecast of what the church is going to face. These particular, two particular matters become very serious errors that the church is going to have to fight. So look at verse 3. What both of these two things have in common is that they are deeply anti-creation. Both teach ideas and practices that are contrary to what God designed when God created the world for us to live in and when God pronounced the world as good. The first of these is this anti-marriage practice. Now think about this. Marriage is the godly and God-given way of procreating the human race, procreating new image bearers. It's the central part of God's plan and purpose in creating the world. To forbid marriage, therefore, is to directly oppose God's plan for the human race. But further, in Genesis chapter 2, God said before he created Eve, it is not good for the man to be alone. So for, for people to forbid marriage is to endorse as something good, the forbidden marriage is not something you should participate in, to restrict people from marriage and to call that good, that's the very opposite of what God has said is good. And, and to oppose God directly in that way, to call not good what God has called good, how diabolical is that? How satanic is that? It's a serious rejection of God's original design and plan. But in addition, we must remember that, that marriage, looking at the husband-wife relationship in marriage, that relationship is the chief metaphor that Paul uses to present Christ and the church. Forbidding marriage is an attack upon the very vitals of the Christian faith. And secondly, then this anti-food practice. Paul says in verse 3 that God created food to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then verses 4 and 5, Paul goes on to say, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So again, to set forth rules of abstinence from certain foods is to call something evil that God has ordained as good. Remember the warning of the prophet Isaiah. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. But in both of these, notice that there is an anti-truth trajectory in this attack upon God's creation. Church history then gives us the trajectory of where this was going and where this was leading. The source of anti-marriage and anti-food practices goes back to the Greek dualistic view of the world, which was common in the Greco-Roman world of the New Testament era. It was a dualism between spirit and matter. 
basically this dualism equated everything that was evil and all the suffering that we find in the world it connected it to the physical nature of the world it, it connected it to to physical matter that was the source of what is evil and therefore the human body which is physical composed of matter was itself an evil problem uh, viewed spiritually uh, the human body was believed to oppose the human soul and genuine spiritual growth uh, that meant that the natural functions of the body uh, natural appetite such as for procreation for sexual desire uh, for the natural desire and need for food that these are basically bad and they were the source of all suffering now these ideas were then mixed in the first century and into the second century with christian terminology and the movement we known as gnosticism developed and by the end of the first century it had begun by the end of the second century it had fully developed and gnosticism is where all of those extra gospels and so-called lost books of the bible come from they were written specifically to be anti-christian anti-christianity and anti-christ gnosticism taught that the body must be overcome for the soul to have its true spirituality or to arrive at salvation so marriage gets in the way the enjoyment of food gets in the way only by denying marriage and denying food at least certain foods could a person ever achieve the higher world of the spirit where freedom and salvation were to be enjoyed so the trajectory of these ideas and practices were deeply anti-creation anti Christianity, anti-gospel, and anti-Christ. Then we need to consider the consequences within the church because there were damaging consequences that always happened uh, as a result and outcome of bad teaching. Notice this. When you reject the very things that God created the human race to live by, how the human race race was to thrive and to flourish you separate yourself from god's purposes and when you separate yourself from god's purposes you separate yourself from god and that leads to the possibility that you're not saved and if that's the road you travel it may forever keep you out of the truth of the gospel and from ever being saved but also if you begin to go down this path you begin to separate yourself from other true believers uh, it's it's always the case that when some people in the church uh, discover and then adopt some special teaching and some special practices uh, if you don't join them if you don't agree with them then it's because um you are not as spiritual as they are that leads to conflicts arguments all sorts of disruptive behavior within the church often the outcome is that the more quote more spiritual people the people who think they're more spiritual will eventually depart and they will fall away from sound doctrine and sound biblical practice they will remove themselves from the church and thereby demonstrate that they are 
fallen away, that they are apostate. You know, there's a third trajectory as well when demonically inspired teachings are followed. Because demonic teachings very often lead to self-preoccupation. Deceitful spirits love to get the minds of believers off of Christ and focused upon themselves in various ways. It could be something that we call spiritual navel-gazing, that is, always looking at your own spiritual growth, always looking at yourself, always trying to measure how far you, you are within the faith. Or it might be something that is recognized by many of us as, as a kind of spiritual independence. Uh, it's expressed this way. Give me the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit, so just give me the Bible, and I don't need anyone or anyone else. But when God said in the garden, it's not good for the man to be alone, and therefore he instituted marriage. And when Paul said that the great mystery of marriage is that it's a creational symbol and metaphor for Christ in the church, that was a very concrete declaration. No Christian is to go the Christian life alone. We all need the body of Christ. And when we are unfaithful to the bride, which is the body of Christ, then we are unfaithful to the husband of the bride, even Christ himself. And the point is this. Bad teaching always leads to damaging consequences to the church, leading some down the path of apostasy. Now, finally, then, the answer to apostasy can be summed up in three words. Heed the warning. Uh, Heed the warning that Paul is giving to Timothy and then apply it to ourselves, which is to say we must never have the attitude it won't happen to me. Because listen to what Paul and Peter both have to say. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. And then a couple of places where Peter speaks to the same effect. Second Peter 1.10 Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Diligent to confirm your calling and election. Be diligent. And then in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. None of us are somehow by ourselves spiritually invincible. And therefore, there are steps that each of us must take in order to heed this warning. First, with respect to the shepherds, the shepherds need to be faithful to feed the flock. Look at what Paul says in verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, speaking to Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. But then also notice verse 16, where Paul says to Timothy, 
Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, this is the primary focus and responsibility of the shepherd teachers of the church, the elders of the congregation. They are to guard their own lives and the doctrine they are teaching with utmost care. Now, that is why we who are elders have all sworn an oath at the time of our ordination to always teach that which is in accordance with the scriptures and as well the teachings of our own confession of faith, the Westminster Standards. We have sworn to be faithful to Christ. We have sworn to be accountable to that oath before the body of Christ. And then secondly, with respect to the sheep, the people of God, to heed the warning for the sheep means to be faithful, to be fed. If believers do not want to be carried away by the error of lawless people, if they don't want to fall into apostasy, they've got to be careful to take in and to learn sound doctrine. Now, that's Paul's teaching in the book of Ephesians. If you go to chapter 4 there, Consider verses 11 through 14. Paul writes that he, meaning Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's how the members of the body of Christ are to heed the warning. They are to be taught, well taught and equipped by the shepherd teachers of the church with a focus of teaching being a profound knowledge of the Son of God. So the focus is Christ and his saving work. The focus is Christ and him crucified. The focus is the gospel. The focus is being saved by grace through faith, not of yourself, but as a gift from God, not because of any works you might do so that no one might ever boast. So we can sum up the concern here about apostasy in this way. The spiritual forecast, bad teachers will inevitably attack the church. But faithful shepherds must promote good doctrine to protect the church from apostasy, to protect the people of God from falling away. Now, just a final application As we close, a final way we can heed this warning, and this is for all of the church, and is to cultivate the virtue of thanksgiving. Paul puts the virtue of thanksgiving at the center of how we are to respond to the agenda of apostasy. The giving of thanks as that which will promote our faithfulness to God and protect us from falling away. 
Do you know why people depart from the faith? Why they often fall away? It's because sound doctrine and the faithful teaching of God's word is often not enough for them. People fall away from the gospel and gospel truth when they are deceived into thinking it's not really enough to satisfy the true desires of their hearts. When they're not thankful to what, for what God has given them, when, when they're not thankful, especially for the gift of his son, they're so vulnerable to falling away. The response, the antidote, is really expressed well by David in Psalm 37 when he says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Which means that when we, the people of God, are greatly thankful to God, we are people who delight in him and his gift to us of his son. When Christ is the deepest desire of our hearts, we will be faithful to the end of our days. Amen. Father, may it be so. May it be the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who was slain, the one who has purchased us with his blood. May Jesus be the delight of our hearts May he be the focus of the hunger of our souls. May we be grateful continually for the God who delivered up his own son for us and promised that along with Christ, you will freely give us all things. May we place our hope and trust in Christ always. And may you keep us focused on Christ, lest we fall away. In this we pray, in your Son's name, amen.